0: Welcome to Frasercast, a place where we discuss how our community can create a more inclusive and equitable world for people of all abilities. Our community includes individuals who have varying physical, emotional, and diverse needs, and Fraser is here to help. Today we welcome Robert Smythe. Robert works as an actor, director, and playwright, and his contributions in the theater world are many and influential. He is said to have sparked a theater renaissance in Philadelphia that continues to this day. Robert has received prestigious artistic fellowships from the Guggenheim Foundation, the Pew Charitable Trusts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. At the age of 50, Robert learned that he's autistic and he is here to tell us more of his story. Welcome, Robert.
1: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure and an honor to have you on (laughs) FrasierCast. An honor, sure. I mean that, yes. So uh, (laughs) let's, (laughs) let's start from the intro, Robert, if we might. Uh, you discovering uh, that you have autism, you're on the spectrum uh, during adulthood mm-hmm. um, in to pass?
1: Well, uh, it almost was like a TV show or a movie or something <clears throat> in the sense of I had no inkling that autism was anywhere in my life. Mm-hmm. And then I was listening to a radio interview with, and I wish I could remember this guy's name, but a quick Google search would turn him up, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. a guy had written a book about the fact that he was having trouble in his in his uh, fairly recent marriage, he was married to a woman who was studying um, to be a school psychologist. And one night she said, honey, come here, down to her office in the basement. And she gave him a test. And when she was done, she said, um, you're autistic. He was like, no, you know, autistic is something that happens to kids. And da, 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 da. Anyway, yeah. he wrote a book about getting this diagnosis. I think he was in his 30s. And the interview went on about, you know, things that he had noticed about uh, life, um, what changed once he was able to put his finger on like, oh, that's because of autism. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was one of those things where, I don't know, have you ever taken one of those magazine quizzes where you're like, like, oh yeah, that's me, that's me, 10 questions. Number four, you're kind of going, yeah, that's not me. And by 7 oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
0: My wife has me take those kinds of tests. Yeah,
1: exactly, and then like around seven or eight, you're going like, no, that's not me. Well, the more I listened to this interview, I was like, oh. That sounds a lot like me. Um, So living near Philadelphia, where we have um, uh, University of Pennsylvania with an an incredible health system, um, I got an appointment with their uh, unit that works on, I think at the time it was called something like adult social disorders. (laughs) (laughs) And through a pretty long and labored process, um, came out about two months later with um, an absolute diagnosis of um, autism, which... Uh, I know a lot of people are like, "Oh my God!" But I was like, "Oh thank God! Oh thank God!" It made it made so much sense.
0: So please explain that because did it ch- did it change your world? And in, in what way did it change your world? It sounds like it did.
1: Well, among other things, it enabled both me and my wife to kind of go, "Oh, so that's what's really going on." I'll give you a great example. It, 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 fairly early on, <clears throat> was we were supposed to go someplace, and I was you know there at. We had said we'll leave it say 5.15, I don't know, 5.15. And I'm there at 5.14 jingling the car keys. And, <laughs> and my wife was like, oh, well, we don't need to leave now. And I was like, but we, and I, I, we were supposed to leave. I got, you know, got very upset. I got upset. Now, there was another thing. It was like, I got upset, not angry. Before we would have said angry, then it was upset because we're realizing it was like not angry. It also helped my wife to understand that I wasn't angry at her. But she was like, why are you getting so upset. And then she went, Oh, I know why we made a plan. And we changed it. Or I changed it. And I didn't think it was a big deal. But you're reacting to the change in plans. And I was able to go, I am. I'm reacting to the change in plan. (laughs) (laughs) And then once I realized that there was like, Oh, that's what I'm actually reacting to. Okay, well, then there's been a change in plans. Okay. Um, But see, before that, I would just be like, no, no, it would, it, you know, who knows, it would turn into World War III, you know, like, ah, you never tell me anything, ah, well, why is it such a big deal? Um, and so that was, that was good, you know, so there were similar revelations like that for, well, I'm 61 now, so for like maybe five, five or six years, um, <clears throat> and then because of the group that I'm, the research group I'm working with, um, where I became the kind of resident autistic person on a, on a research panel. Um, I began to realize more and more about what being autistic in a room full of other people who were openly talking about autism could really mean. And I started to realize like, oh, I have superpowers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and But the other thing I realized, and my wife, who works is a uh, she works for Swarthmore College and is in charge of um, compliance with the Americans with Disabilities Act. And so she said, I see what's happening here. Like many people with a disability, you're becoming an advocate. And I went, oh, okay. And now uh, now what happens is I realized that um, one of the big things I realized and from talking to other people with autism is mm-hmm. the effort of camouflaging and masking, of pretending to be like everybody else, is actually uh-huh. something I'm not really interested in doing anymore. It takes too much energy, too much stress. And, and that's, that's been a big change in life, too.
0: So this is interesting because so much about what I've learned by hosting this podcast is... That- that caregivers, especially with children, there's, there's so much they need to learn about autism. And of course the child does too. But you're an adult who encountered this about yourself, someone who's lived a long longish life, 50 years to that point. And it's- Not school- that long, Dave, hold back. I know, I'm, I'm right with you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it sounds like you're teaching yourself along the way here. What, what, what sort of help have you had or outreach have you made on your own as an adult with a lot of self-awareness to get to this point where you really seem like you got this um, you know figured out to a certain degree did you do this on your own
1: yeah basically i mean one of the things also that i i started learning about with um uh, learning more about autism and you know it's interesting because you refer to you know parents and caregivers there is so little known so little done. Anytime you look at any kind of interesting medical question, I just had some intestinal issues and discovered there's a link between autism and certain intestinal issues. Wow! All of the research has been done on children. So if you're an adult and yeah. you want, you know, like I went to my gastroenterologist who just looked at me and went, Oh really? That's interesting. Um, and I said, well, I'm autistic. I think you should know there's a link. And she's went, you're autistic. Well, you certainly are high functioning. So this is where the advocacy comes from, right, which is just like, okay, I'm not really sure what you mean by that, and that may be a compliment or something in your mind, but I, I'm, I'm not high functioning. I'm a person, and I do just fine, and I don't really need your seal of approval. So in answer to your question, have I done it on my own, um, what I started to realize was like, right, so I, I share with a lot of autistic people. The, the bluntness <laughs> the the I'm just going to speak my mind, this is logical, why wouldn't I say it? now I know why I'm saying it um, and I will be more careful to like prepare people to hear what I have to say. I think it's made me a much better person um, but at the same time you know it's kind of like, look, I'm autistic and I've spent most of my life dealing with the neurotypical world. I think it's about time you guys started learning to deal with the autistic world and it's not that hard really um, but uh, I think a lot of, by the time a lot of adults come to the point where they are looking for a diagnosis, it's not really that surprising because what it really does is it confirms a lot of things that they know. Um, and then what happens too, is you realize like, Oh, okay. So I do have a coping mechanism or you could call it camouflaging or masking or whatever.
0: Yeah. And
1: I realize that I'm really good at that. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and th- so the hard part is in a way, kind of going like, oh, right, everything I've ever heard or read or seen in a movie or whatever about autism isn't more true than my life. And I have a lot of experience in negotiating the real, you know, the neurotypical world. Um, But then also I realized that I'm very good, for example, at reading body language. I'm usually the first person in the room who can tell the emotional temperature of everything that's going on because it's a, (laughs) because it's (laughs) self-protection. You know, and it's one of those things where I've I've been in meetings with people, you know, usually like you know, funders or, you know, people who have to say a certain thing with a straight face. And I know that they're, I won't say lying, but I know that they're not necessarily comfortable with what they're saying, but they're saying it because they have to. And I'm the only one in the room who's able to kind of go, well, look at their body language. Because that's the thing I've studied all my life is body language to try to figure out how to fit
0: in. Wow. Well, I suddenly want to turn off my Zoom camera. (laughs) You know. <laughs> no you're doing fine you're doing fine <laughs> so uh talking about your experience Robert you're in theater theater is about pretending um I feel like we could talk about your relationship to the theater world and your diagnosis for an hour on its own because it, sure it just fascinates me but uh tell us about how your relationship with autism and your work
1: oh, uh, okay, so let me, boil, let me boil down an hour conversation to something. Well, it's yeah. interesting because you say, you know, theater's about pretend. Um, more importantly, I think for at least me, and this is, I will say this flat out, right? This is me. It's my experience with my form of autism. I don't pretend to speak for anybody else. But right. so if I generalize, I apologize if it seems like it's going against something that someone else has experienced. But in my experience, and it's interesting because <laughs> in the world of, especially live theater, there are a lot of autistic people. Um, and they're, we're usually really good actors because we are very good at studying people. We've done it all our lives, trying to fit in and figure out how do we do what other people are doing so that we blend in and we fit in and we play these games. Um, it's not necessarily pretend, but it is kind of playing a game of like, no, no, that's fine. Um, but it's, it's, it's not... Uh, um, It's more like, okay, so I have these words I have to say. And then this is actually something that I find. And I think a lot of my fellow actors who are autistic feel too. Having a script is a lifesaver. You know, knowing that when I say this, you're going to reply is awesome. And in rehearsal, what's really cool is what is rehearsal? Well, I'm trying out these lines with various emotional weights. I'm trying out these lines to Uh, I'm saying them in a certain way because my character wants your character to do something. So I'm using these words to have an effect on you. And so in rehearsal, we get, I get to play around with a whole lot of stuff and then finally click on the one that goes, that's the one that works. Or I think it works. And then there are literally people, the director, the other actors who are kind of like "Mm, not working for me. Um, So that when it finally works, you're like, "Ah, I've solved a missing piece of how to do this or how to do that. And then for me, the cool thing is that you then get to do it again and again and again. And that, I, I won't speak for everybody, but there's, there's a certain pleasure in uh, uh, doing something over and over again and and adjusting it just a little bit and getting a different result. And then, you know, it's like, look, I'm playing around with this. And the safe thing is the person I'm talking to cannot say anything other than what i'm expecting <laughs> <So> unlike <laughs> unlike real life where you know you, you make you you know you come out i mean we've all i'm sure been through this you know you're like you get up your courage to say something and and the person who's hearing it does not respond the way there you wanted them to
0: yeah.
1: um, and so it, it it i think it's very helpful there's a actually a friend of mine who wants to start a project of really using theater in a, in a very specific scripted way theater games and stuff for people uh. with autism to kind of help them understand that, right? Um, yeah. Because scripts are a wonderful thing.
0: Yeah, you know, as a writer, I can appreciate trying over and over again because I write many drafts and I love to do mm-hmm. that. Yep. And then an editor can come into play and really mess things up. So I bet a director can sometimes, you know, mess up your mojo, maybe oh, change God. Oh, like oh, draft, oh Oh God, right? oh my
1: God. So let me just tell you a story. So last year, got, in the before times, Um, (laughs) I was I was at a show uh, it was a two-man show and um, I played you know an English lord and my my manner was haunted and blah 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 and the way it was written the guy comes off as a very could be coming off as very blustery and very you know no nonsense you know kind of if, if, if everyone could see me, I've got this incredible mustache, uh, handlebar mustache right now, full beard. So it's like, um, you know, I'll let the beard do all the acting. That's all I have to do. And so I was making these choices. And the director was just like, no, I don't really think. No, you know, no. You're like, that's what we expect. What else? You know, let's let's talk about it. And I was like, no, this is the way it's supposed to be because I've decided on it and I've been working on it. And, I'm blah, blah. and it took a long time. And, and what I've realized is it is hard in the, in the creative field when you have a director um, to feel like, no, 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 everything's working just fine and you want me to make an adjustment. Yeah. So it's like, it's, like, it's like the schedule thing that my wife was talking about. It was like, ah, you know? And so like having so I, I usually talk with the people I'm working with and saying, I don't want you to think I'm fighting you. It's just I can't always turn on a dime. But in the particular show that we're talking about, it was fantastic because the director over a period of time really helped me turn that character 180 degrees so instead of being big and blustery he actually just became very kind of you know not very sure of himself and 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 oh. if it's all right with you um you know, uh, you know kind of like that right um which which was really fascinating and it weighed it 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 was a way of going like ah okay right yeah. so i mean it would be great if we all had directors following us around going no, we don't need to do that. But, um, you know, and I, and I I don't know. I feel like, I feel like NTs have always had that. (laughs) And the rest of us are outside looking through the window, kind of going like, I see, I think I know what to do. Okay. When they do this, I do this. Right. So,
0: so is it, um, makes sense as a parallel or a metaphor to say that real life is like improv
1: Oh yes, and I mm-hmm. suck at. Uh, can I say suck? I just did. Oh yeah, I right. suck at improv. Um, I I like new experiences. A friend of mine and I, um, a guy lives in Brazil, and we're about to start a podcast because he was like, you know what, we need to do a podcast. Um, but one of the things that we were talking about was how both he and I, so we both discovered each other late in life. He's not even forty yet, but we came together for a particular purpose. He's a he's um, <clears throat> he's a big internet. Uh, uh, sensation on Instagram, et cetera, et cetera. He was making a documentary on autism. He was asking for people to talk to. He and I had a conversation that was supposed to be half an hour, it was three and a half hours. Um, and we, uh, yesterday, you know, we're talking about the fact that for each other, we were the first adult autistic person we've ever met who wow. thinks the way that we do, wow. right? And, and, it, and I can't tell you for sure why that makes a difference. I mean, it's not like we were speaking in a different language or something. But he got everything, and I got everything, and it just felt so awesome and One of the things that he said was, you know, in his life, it's hard to talk to other people because he feels like he's never getting enough stimulation because they're never you know he's like he's like he's putting ideas out there because that's what we like to do, but a lot of ideas out there, and and people just go, "Oh, I see," instead of going like, "No, no, wait, here's another one um, and <laughs> so um in, in an effort to get. No, really, I am coming back to your question. In an effort to get more um, experience and try things that I haven't done before, I took some improv classes. And what I realized was like, I was like, okay, I'm on 11, I'm on 13. And then the instructor was like, yeah, we only really need a three. And and I realized, I don't know how to do three. (laughs) I can't even do nine. And, there, and, and her point was like, look, if you're, if you're like so over the top, of you're not leaving room for anybody else, which in a way, I think kind of sums up a lot of the the, the challenges that yeah. autistic people have, right? Which is just like, why does there need to be anybody else? <laughs> I'm doing fine.
0: <laughs> I'm interested in this podcast. I'm going to spell your last name so people can look you up, Google you. It's S-M-Y-T-H-E. Robert That's Smith. right. Robert so, Smythe. Yes. I you have a website, Robert. Am I right?
1: Well, you know, I used to. And then uh, um, it was one of those things of like, meh. But if you Google me, uh, especially if you Google me in relation to either Philadelphia or puppetry, puppet stuff, okay. um, that's, that's what I used to really be famous for. But okay. um, I stopped doing that a long time ago.
0: Well, I'm interested in this podcast. I want to keep an eye on that.
1: It, it is called The 18. Okay. And, um, and I'll definitely let everybody through Fraser know about it. Um I I love it, right? It's called the eighteen. We decided yesterday, not even twenty four hours ago, but but the thing is Rafael Montesso is a force to be reckoned with. So like this morning he already had logo designs on windbreakers and stuff like that. So yeah, it's gonna happen. Yeah. I mean he's he's got books published all over the world and everything else. So like, you know, as soon as he said let's do this, I knew it was gonna be like, Okay. And so, you know, we'll be we'll be recording our first episode next week.
0: <laughs> uh, congratulations. That's great. Uh, Robert, if you could circle back to advocacy sure. and um, when you started advocating, what does that look like for you and and, and what are you trying to achieve?
1: Most of the time it is trying to um, helpfully suggest to people who very much want to uh, help uh, be advocates, be allies with uh, and for people with autism is to remember that not everyone with autism is a child and to also remember that not everyone with autism is incapable of speaking for themselves. Um, historically, autism has seemed to be um, a disease, and I don't like that idea, it's not a disease, it's just the way your brain's wired. But it is something that is seen in children. Um, it's something to be really afraid of, and apparently no one ever grows out of it or grows to be an adult. <laughs> so those of us who are adults with autism, I once said to my research group, I sometimes feel like I didn't really grow up with autism because I didn't grow up diagnosed with it. And they were like, no, 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 no. you." You grew up with autism, don't worry. Um, but the advocacy often is to remind people that when, when we're talking about you know, what kind of changes could be made in the community, in the environment, in treatments, et cetera, et cetera, that while the, um, the input and the opinions and the real lived experience of caretakers and parents and the people who love and support people with autism, I'll oh, see, this is an autistic thing. I mean, I'm getting overcome with emotion. Um, it's important to value all of that stuff, but we also must ask the people who are affected what they want. Wow. Um, it's a big point in the research project that Gina and I are working on right now where <clears throat> it, it, we, we're actually looking at literature and discovering like, oh, um, yeah, nobody's really ever asked. <laughs> you know, it basically comes down to this. All sorts of research shows that when people participate in their community, they have, uh, uh, they have good health outcomes. Great, positive health outcomes. Mm-hmm. Then it comes down to, okay, what does that mean? Participate in your community. And what we're, and this is just me, but mm-hmm. I've been looking at a lot of the data and talking to other people. And it seems like very often, neurotypical people say, oh, well, what's good for me should be good for everyone else. So an autistic person who's sitting home on their computer needs to be out in the community. It's a little bit, reminds me a little bit of like when your mom used to say, go outside and play. (laughs) I don't want to play. It's the sun shining and you need vitamin D, whatever, get out of the house. And they may not appreciate that for some people with autism, the idea of having to gird your loins to go outside to yeah. follow all of those social uh, uh, things that you may not understand. But here you are in it with a community that you're able to access maybe all over the world. I mean, like my friend Rafael lives in Sao Paulo and we only found each other because the internet made it possible for us to talk to each other. We would never have found each other, even known each other's existence, right? And here's the first person in 61 years that I have found who gets me. And that includes my wife. She's yeah. put up with a lot, but so, so when when we when when very well intentioned people are going like, oh well, we want to see you know the 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 autistic people in our community out there, you know, enjoying themselves like everyone else. It, there's a basic maybe misunderstanding, that maybe we don't enjoy ourselves the way everybody else does, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the advocacy is is to be able to say since and it's difficult because <clears throat> I think anybody who's been listening this far would go hmm. Guy's well spoken. Um, (laughs) And because I have the ability to speak, I try to speak for those who can't. But at the same time, I don't presume to speak for the people who can't, only to say, like me, they deserve to have a voice.
0: I love that. So everyone enjoy ourselves like ourselves, in other words, not like other people. Um, Yeah. 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 Beautiful message. Um, I wanted to round off with exactly what you just. Describe Robert, which is what I heard, which is um, advice, if you will, for people, for caregivers, for adults with autism, for children, for anyone who might be listening. Um, that's a broad thing to say and it's, and it's a hard thing to ask. And, and you really just touched on it. Um, but I'm going to throw that open to you anyway because you are so well spoken and I know you have a lot of. I've been told I'm high functioning. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Which is the thing I'd actually, I actually to just round this out for you, if I can, I'd like okay. to say this, right? Okay. So very often when someone gets a diagnosis of autism, whether it's for themselves or for someone in their family or someone that they care about, there are usually two outcomes. They're either told so-and-so is high functioning or they're low functioning. And the difficulty is this, when someone's low, high functioning, what people then automatically kind of dismiss is any of the challenges that they have. Because they're high functioning and they tend to forget that they have challenges, which may be very hard to overcome. And one of the things that happens when someone gets a low functioning diagnosis is that people focus on the low function and they forget to include or think about that person's wonderful assets. They are forgotten. And one of the things that's really important, I think, for autism and the people who are concerned about it is to never dismiss anybody and their full capabilities and selves because people look at me and go, well, you know, how hard could it be for you? You're high functioning. It's like, oh man, how much time do you have? And for the kids usually, or other people, and I say the kids because they may be unable to communicate. It's hard then to really remember that they've got wonderful, wonderful assets because we're so focused on what they can't do. And, and that, to me is a shame. And so for anybody who's listening, um, whether whatever the diagnosis is, put the diagnosis away and just celebrate the fact that when you're on the A team, you've got superpowers. And if other people haven't discovered them yet, that's their problem. Your job is to keep them sharp, keep them focused. So when you need them, you're ready.
0: That's beautiful, Robert. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Robert Robert Smythe. I'm going to spell his last name, S-M-Y-T-H-E. Look him up. He's amazing. He's got a new podcast coming up with a good friend of his. The name is escaping me. It's called The A-Team. And don't forget us in FraserCast land when you're up there um, in the big time with The A-Team, Robert.
1: <laughs> well, no, we'll be having you on. We'll be having you on. We're always going to be looking for guests. Don't
0: worry. Uh, it's, it, it really has been a pleasure. And it has been an honor to have you here. Again, this is Robert Smythe. Uh, A great story. Thank you for sharing. If any of our listeners have questions about their own autistic journey or that of a loved one, please visit the Fraser website at www.fraser.org. That's F-R-A-S-E-R.org for more information. Thank you to everyone. Thank you, Robert. And we'll see you next time.